and welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm Kevin Gregory. With me, as usual, are Nick and Jess. And we're here to talk about all things Marvel Comics and Marvel Studios from the month of October. If you're coming to us from Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, great. Thank you. Leave us a review, subscribe, all that good stuff that you're supposed to do when you like a podcast and things. If you have never visited multiversitycomics.com where we're hosted, we encourage you to go there and check it out right now. They have a ton of fun news and reviews and television and other entertainment content. There are a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of video interviews from New York Comic Con and other interviews with creators from that big event. So you should go there and check all of that stuff out. Um, but we're here to talk about some fun books that Marvel put out in the month of, month of October. We're actually doing something a little bit different this week. So we're going to talk about a few news items. Uh, if you want to hear most of Marvel's news from October, I encourage you to go back and listen to our New York Comic Con wrap up episode from two weeks ago. So we're going to talk a couple of news things and then we're going to do a fun little activity type thing related to the uh, Venom movie that came out earlier in the month. Uh, I went and saw it today. Nick and Jess haven't seen it. Hijinks will ensue. Uh, then we're going to talk some other Venom stuff as the Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman book has been getting a lot of buzz. And then we'll review some of Marvel's biggest books from the month of October in the second part of the episode. Um, so with that, Nick, Jess, how are y'all doing this fine evening? I'm feeling venomized. Same. Are you actually? Same. 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 <laughs> Are you feeling like attracted to Venom or just like Venomized? Like you're just like excited? Like what is that? Like a little of both. Like I feel like I am being covered by the symbiote, but in a way that I haven't really figured out how it feels, like how I feel about it. I can't tell if that's religious or sexual. A little of both. Again, a little of both. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Okay, cool, cool. Um, Well, so the biggest sort of news thing that's come out in the last couple weeks. uh, So Daredevil season three has come out on Netflix and we'll talk about not necessarily about it in the second part of the episode, but we will talk about some Daredevil stuff. But with that, right before it released last week, uh, it was revealed that Iron Fist and Luke Cage have both been canceled. So Iron Fist after Iron, both of those shows after two seasons. Um, we don't know about the status of the other uh, Marvel Netflix shows. So we do know that Jessica Jones is getting a third season and Punisher is getting a second season. And both of those will be out in 2019. But beyond that, the fate of the Marvel Netflix stuff is maybe a little bit up in the air at this moment. So Jess, you said you had some thoughts before the episode. So I'm going to turn to you first. And yeah. It's so crazy to me how badly they dropped the ball on these shows. Like, I can't believe I care this much because I really usually don't. Like, I don't care if these, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are not good. Like, it's just like, all right, whatever. It's not good. But like, for whatever reason, I really am upset about this, I guess, because I really messed up. So the thing with the Marvel Netflix shows that you'll hear a lot of people say when they're talking about it is uh, that they drag on in the middle. And that's true because what each of these seasons has tried to do is they try to tell one big story over like 13 episodes, which is a lot. Um, it's it's really hard to do that. And it's really it's, I don't think it's possible. I think it's very difficult to do that. Um, and 
you had these characters that work really well together and instead of making of doing these first seasons where you kind of introduce who they are to an audience that might not know who they are i mean jessica jones is not exactly a household name she literally had like one comic book series and then that like that was really it for her so it makes sense that you need to take time to introduce these characters but the appeal of them in the comics is that they work really well together because they all kind of work in the same part of New York City, which is kind of why I love them. I mean, Luke Cage and, and uh, Iron Fist is like maybe my favorite duo in comics. Um, I love that pairing. I love that friendship. I think it's great. The fact that the Marvel shows um, kept them apart makes no sense to me. And going back to the whole 13 episode thing, it's like, you're doing superheroes. If you watch the CWDC shows, you don't have this problem where the, where the seasons seem to drag on in the middle because they embrace the fact that they have a lot of episodes and they do the one-off kind of villains here and there while building up a bigger arc. And that's not what these shows did. And it's weird because you've got Jessica Jones, whose whole thing is she's a, a private, det- a private investigator and they didn't use, they didn't utilize that. They had her basically focusing on one thing for the whole season. And with her, especially, you could have done like a really cool um, 13 episode Rockford Files type of show with her. Kind of a messy, um, drunk detective who's working on her own. And that could have been great. And you could have had Luke Cage and Iron Fist working together in Harlem. They didn't do that. Um, then they introduced Colleen Wing and they had Misty Knight and the second season of Iron Fist really pushed them together. That could have been another thing all on its own. And it's weird because they hyped these things up so much and the tone, I think, was very good um, for these characters. But they just they, they just kind of messed it up. They insisted on doing these really serious 13-hour dramas um, with characters that didn't quite work with. And it's it's... The Daredevil show works because Daredevil kind of lends himself to that kind of show. He has his own supporting cast. He has his own um, very notable storylines. Like the third season is basically doing Born Again um, very loosely, but that's what they're doing. Um, And he is a guy who tends to always be written by himself anyway. Um, so that show still works, and it's the same reason why Punisher works. But the other shows just kind of fell apart because they just didn't know what to do with these characters. It's just weird. The whole thing was just so messed up in execution, and I'm just so mad that I cared so much. Because, I, like I said, I really love these characters, and they just they, they, they disappointed me so much. And I don't ever let myself get that disappointed by these things, but I was so let down by all of it. It's 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 a shame. It really is. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I so I haven't watched very much of the Marvel Netflix stuff. I've watched like the first seasons of Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and I thought they were they were really pretty good, and they were pretty self contained. And then I heard that it kind of got a little cattywampus after that, and I hadn't I haven't really picked it up since then. Did it not feel like cohesive like that in in Defenders when all of the like characters came together? In, in such a way and they were 
did they ever come together or did it take the whole season for it them to do that? It took like the whole season oh, for them to get together. Wow. They got they finally got together like maybe halfway through and then they didn't really want to be together. Like and that was what was really weird about it. Like they they really they wrote Jessica Jones where she just like she was so against all of it, which made some sense, but it kind of threw everything else off. Luke and Danny had, like, no friendship at all. There was barely anything there. The two actors had, like, no chemistry. I think there was one scene that was kind of funny, but then the rest of it was just... It, it wasn't good. Like, they just... they The actors... Uh, well, Iron Fist, we can pretend that never happened, but um, Mike Coulter is Luke Cage. He's really good. That's Luke Cage. That is Luke Cage. But, um, yeah, it just... Defenders was basically daredevil season 2.5 in my opinion uh, oh so because it picked it picked up on daredevil season two stuff right it yeah like electra oh man see this is the thing with those shows they're, they're so long and get so boring in the middle i kind of forget what happens um yeah the the, the defenders was basically electra um i guess spoilers for anyone who's listening so maybe turn it off but uh electra as in the comic she dies at the end of the first one of the seasons of Daredevil, I think it's the second season, she dies. But of course, as we know, Electra gets she's Electra, so the hand revives her. So the hand revives her, and then in the Defenders, um, the hand and her are the main villains. Okay. And so it's really like it's really just Daredevil season two and a half with um, a couple guest stars. It, and then, like, Jessica Jones uh, season two doesn't even talk, like, it barely mentions the Defenders. Um, I didn't finish Luke Cage season two because I got really bored, and I didn't even start Iron Fist season two. I am watching Daredevil, though. Okay. Yeah. Nick, what do you what do you think about all, about all this? I feel like we reached peak superhero TV years ago. <laughs> so I'm a little surprised that the show has lasted as long as they did. Uh, but at the same time, with like binging and just the way that like Netflix works, uh, I'm also not surprised that they lasted so long. Um, and it, I just I think it's funny that now that Marvel's TV side is sort of starting to close down, uh, all of a sudden DC is back and they're like, we have more stuff on the streaming servers. Come check it out. And uh, I just, that was my headphone. Hey. I feel like uh, we're just, <laughs> I feel like we're just so far past uh, prime for superhero TV shows. And yeah, this, it doesn't really surprise me. No. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's, it's weird because I feel like if you're going to do a superhero TV show, you kind of have to embrace the fact that superheroes do superhero things. And depending on what characters you're using, you know, if they're if they're if they're Luke Cage in Harlem, you know, having him work out of his own office is at, with like Danny Rand as Heroes for Hire. Every episode could be a case. It could be them dealing with something small scale. Um, the I, I fell very behind on all the CW shows, um, but the Flash was like that for a while. Um, the Flash had a lot of one-off villains that they would have to deal with, and then that was it. It was one and done, and it would tease um, the bigger arc. And that was always... I think that works. And from what yeah. I understand, yeah. Legends of Tomorrow does a little bit of that. Each episode's kind of like its own thing. And I think with superheroes especially, 
when you look at a comic book, an arc is like five or six issues, and that's what it is. It's them dealing with a superhero, an, um, a supervillain. So it's like you kind of have to embrace that if you're going to do superhero TV shows with a lot of characters. Um, like the Batwoman show, I think, has to be like that. I think it's got to be um, Kate Kane going through Gotham and um, dealing with, if that ever happens, she's going to be on the crossover, I think, but I don't know if the show got officially picked up. I, I don't know. Um, but it would have to be that. It would have to be her and Gotham. Each episode would kind of be like its own thing. And it's weird because I always go back to the X-Files when it comes to this because I think that show perfected the one-off thing while still building the characters and then ta- and then building to a bigger storyline. And that's not what the Marvel Netflix shows did. They just started whatever their plot was and dragged it out for 13 episodes. Yeah, when you were talking about that earlier, like how you wanted that format, I was like, oh, Jess really just wants the X-Files. <laughs> All show- it's, it's a good format. It really is, if you mm-hmm. do it right. I mean, because the X-Files had like 20-something episodes a season, but... You got all the character development from Mulder and Scully in those cases and how they reacted to the situation and reacted to each other. Yeah. And that's that's really all you need. You don't need to – everything doesn't need to be outwardly said. A lot of things can be given to you through what the people actually do. It's like when you, are work, when you work with people, you kind of fig, uh, feel people out by what they do and how they respond to things. So I don't know. I just I just think that – the Netflix shows really, they, they really bungled it badly, and um, superhero TV can be good. I just don't think anyone wants to commit to it being more than just like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, the CW shows are fun most of the time, but I stopped watching them because I just didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I needed to watch them. It didn't feel like must-see TV to me. Yeah, and part of that is that we've just had so much of it for so long. <laughs> um, in in talking about structure, uh, my number one that I always go back to, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, it did the same sort of thing where each episode was a complete done-in-one, uh, ca- not necessarily case, but uh, it took place in a different place for the most part, and basically it had a different story every time. But then those stories, the things that the characters went through, uh, they ended up accumulating into a much larger story. And I feel like that's the most satisfying way that you can tell a story. And it's possible to do a long form thing. Like I think the first season of Heroes is like just peak network TV. And yeah, but it's it's rare for a show to be able to run that long um, and tell one big story. And you can see how even like in this other seasons of heroes <laughs> that same model completely failed because they just didn't have the character yeah, for it. It's hard. I just finished watching the haunting of Hill house and I thought that was a really good um, example of telling one big story over 10 episodes. Um, but that's really hard to do. And I, I'm glad you brought up heroes cause I totally forgot how good that season was. That was really good. Yeah. I remember loving mm-hmm. that. And then like the rest yeah. of the show was just like, Wow, that took a dip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every few years I'll rewatch just it's the first good. season, uh, yeah. as if it's a miniseries because yeah. it was supposed to be. But it's it's hard to yeah. do that. Really, it is hard yeah. to do a story over that many episodes and keep 
people invested, you've got to really add some layers to it and and keep people around because I I think with Netflix because it's because they encourage you to binge watch, people don't if you are binge watching it, you don't feel that it gets kind of boring in the middle, but I don't binge watch anymore. So, at least for me, I I don't watch like six episodes in a day. I'll watch one here. I'll watch maybe two if I've got the time. Um, I I mean, I won't do a week by week, but I do it to the point where I can notice that it's boring. (laughs) And I feel like this need to like, okay, well, I'm going to skip this episode because nothing is going to happen here. So yeah, I, I think because they encourage people to binge watch that people will marathon it and they won't notice that it's dragging in the middle because they're just going to keep going. Yeah, I think so listening to both of you talk, um, I mean, I always go back. So, so Jess, yours is the X-Files. Nick, your, Nick, yours is Avatar. I always go back to like like Star Trek or like Star Trek, like deep, like in like the next generation and like Deep Space Nine and like Voyager, they all had like an overarching series sort of plot. But every episode is our, you know, is like the individual sort of like one off like adventure of the week, whatever. And I just don't think that like the Netflixes and the Hulus and like the CBS all accesses are super invested in telling those kinds of narratives of like the episodic but contributing to the larger part of the narrative because it's not conducive to to like to to binge culture i guess in some ways and the the negative side of that is you get things like the marvel netflix shows or you get things like the middle episodes of like house of cards or like orange is the new black or insert other netflix drama where like the middle episodes don't like matter as much because nothing really happens. And there's stuff that happens in like the first two or three episodes and there's stuff that happens at the end, but everything else is like extraneous. And I think it's, I think it's partly because those companies think that people just have like such a short attention span that they can't like watch like, or like that they need to have sort of like a whole full narrative to like, to be able to focus on one thing throughout the, like the whole thing and not have these like episodic formats but I love that. Like, I think that's like, that's what television should be. Like that's peak TV. Yeah. Well, I feel like if everything is an individual episode, I know for me personally, if things are more episodic, I will take longer in between episodes. And I will also write like a week because like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like when you're watching net network television, well, it's like you wait your yeah, maybe not like a week, but like I'll take a day or two in between like watching an episode or I'll watch like a few episodes, then take a day or two off. Um, and yeah, Netflix, the, those companies, they really just want people to go right through. And if you're left feeling like you only got a tiny chunk of the story, you're a lot more likely to go back and watch the next one immediately. And that keeps you hooked. Yeah. And, it, and it's yeah. like, I get why people like the streaming services, but that's such a problem with a lot of the original programming. Like I, they don't, they don't build it for what if you were watching this weekly where, whereas like HBO or NBC, they'll be like, no, we need to make this one episode really good because we want people to watch again next week. If they don't watch again next week and we don't get anybody watching, we can't make the show anymore. That's not the case with Netflix and Hulu because when they order a show, they order the entire season, unless it's, unless, except for very few exceptions. Like I think Disenchanted, um, 
that's an animated show and that only got like a half season order and then they just ordered the rest but usually like nine times out of ten they order the whole season and so they get to make the whole thing and it's like well if you just fly through it and you're like hmm that was interesting i want more then they kind of you're thirsty for it and they want to make another one but it's you, when you start thinking about the show itself, you realize it really wasn't all that great. And I kind of ran through it too fast because that's what I'm supposed to do at Netflix shows. And and that's 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 been my issue with Netflix and why I actually don't have Netflix right now. I am using it. I'm using someone else's for Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, in all honesty, uh, I felt this is getting more and more off topic but i felt that way about the good place uh when i watched it i felt like every episode it was episodic but the episodes were based around the plot twists at the end of each episode and it it was sort of like you felt like you wanted to watch the next one so that you could uh experience like what happened because of the plot twist at the end of the last episode and then the middle of each episode was just like fluff and i felt like that's how that show worked and I feel like it's very bingeable in that way, but it's also episodic. But I feel like that's also like sort of its own problem. But yeah, I don't know if either of you have seen that show. I love The Good Place. Okay. Um, <laughs> I that's one of that's the only show right now that I'm watching every week, like as it comes on. Or and to. I mean, I mean, we're okay. we're gonna get further and further off topic here, but it, it also like it, it also kind of depends on what kind of show you're doing, like um. Like, I love Riverdale. Riverdale is a soap opera. That's what it is. So you've got, like, eight different things happening at once, and they're not all connected, but each one is treated, like, every character's story is treated as, like, an actual story. So you've got a lot going on. And the But that was the problem with the Netflix shows, is it really was, like... I mean, people are like, it can't be just one story. No, it really is, like, one story, and it's over 13 episodes. That doesn't work. The couple of subplots are so thin that they're wrapped mm-hmm. up in, like, three episodes. And it's like, well, that's it? That's 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 all that's going to happen with these characters? So it, it does depend on the show yeah. that you're that you're work, that you're looking at. So, like, like I said, something like Riverdale's soap <laughs> opera, that's designed to be a lot. <laughs> and it's, you know... And, and that's the same reason why Heroes yeah. worked... Uh, is because there were so many different characters and they all had completely different stories that would sometimes yeah, converge. Exactly. And but that was not the case with um the Netflix shows where uh Iron Fist had the main story with Danny Rand coming back. They thought he was dead, but now he's alive and um that's how the show starts. He comes back after like years of being gone. Um so he comes back and there's like this whole thing where he's trying to reclaim the corporation that his parents had and he's also trying to um protect the uh, new york city from the hand and but that's all one story and then there's like a separate subplot with the guy who was his dad's best friend and that's wrapped up real fast and then there's another subplot with uh that guy's kids and all of that is just so thin and it's wrapped up so quick and it's so still attached to danny rand that it is his story too so th- there's nothing else there that's unattached that still deals with the same themes and still feels like it's part of the same universe. And that's kind of where Daredevil dif- uh, is different, um, but not by much, but there's enough there where it feels like a better. it's a better show. Um, I- I'm only a couple episodes into season three, but there's an entire um, 
the way the show is now, uh, Daredevil, they're doing Born Again, so very vague spoilers. Um, everyone thinks Daredevil is dead. Um, so Karen has her own story. Foggy's got his own story. And Daredevil's got his own story. And Kingpin has his own thing going on right now. And so there's a lot of different pieces moving. And that's not the case with the other Netflix shows. So while it's still all tied together to Matt, it's still separate enough where there's enough going on in the show where you're not sitting there bored out of your mind. Sure. 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 And I had a, and, and I had a thought during all this and and we don't, we don't have to dwell on this for, for too much longer and, and talking about all of this and I'm talking about like the Netflixes and the Hulus having the, we need to have these like streamlined one specific narrative over 13 episodes. Uh, Nick and you're, you talking about the good place. I thought about this, excuse me i'm wondering why like the the like netflix hulu like animated type shows don't have like the don't run into the problems that like the live action shows do in some ways because like something like like bojack or something like big mouth or like disenchanted mm -hmm. like it has like an overarching plot but every episode is still kind of it's like one one and done yeah well all those shows are also primarily comedies and i feel like with comedies you have like you because it's not all about the drama like it it has to be about like okay we're talking about this topic and like the jokes are mainly going to be focused around like this situation and you can't have a comedic situation that runs for 13 hours because people are going to get bored of it um (laughs) which i mean i guess is the exact problem of the dramas but you can feel it in a different way i feel like it's a lot more immediate with comedy where like you constantly want to be moving on to the next joke sure Sure, sure. Um, well, cool. We had a lot. We had a lot more to say about that than I thought that we did. Uh, that was, yeah. <laughs> I sort of spiraled into a conversation about TV in general. I know, and 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 I and I I absolutely agree with you, Jess. That like I think that Marvel has has wasted some of their Netflix opportunities, and and that's unfortunate. I wonder if some of this stuff will live will live again on Disney streaming service. I think that's what some. People I, I think that's what's going to happen, honestly. But mm-hmm. I mean, I just I really love TV. I think TV is a really interesting way of telling stories, um, and there's some really great stories that have been told in the last like decade on TV. So I'm I'm just I I just hate watching like something with potential kind of fall apart. It's a bummer. For sure. For sure. Um, cool. Well, let's let's move on. Let's give these next two things like just like one one two sentence sort of thoughts. Um, so the Marvel digests that Archie Comics are publishing or have been publishing, which I think is just like a anthology of just like older back issues of Marvel. Um, they're no longer continuing that partnership and won't be publishing those anymore. Um, so Nick, we'll start with you. Do you have any thoughts on Marvel and Archie ending their relationship thing um i i don't understand archie's business model i (laughs) i don't think um, anybody does i have tried i have tried so hard to understand yeah sometimes they're like really focusing on their digest and then sometimes they're like really pushing like with new riverdale they really push that and then all of a sudden they'll be really pushing archie horror but then that like always runs into ten thousand delays for some reason and uh yeah so i never understand what archie is doing (laughs) um but with these uh yeah i don't know (laughs) i I got nothing uh 
I'd imagine that they did pretty well. I mean, all of us, I'm sure, and pretty much everybody our generation and older and younger, like everybody knows the Archie Digests in the supermarket aisle. And these were in those exact places. And that's great. And I'm sure that it exposed a lot of kids to comics. Uh, like, I'm sure a lot of kids, like, after seeing the Black Panther movie, they saw that in the supermarkets and, like, begged their parents to get it for them for five bucks. And, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like it probably did well. There goes my headphone again. Um, and... I don't know. It could be an Archie thing. It could be a Marvel thing. Who knows why any of them do any of this stuff? That's that's fair enough. Yeah, I hadn't put together the maybe the the kids in this in the supermarket like that avenue of like Marvel having the oh right, this is like an avenue for like younger readers to find some of our older stuff. That's not them getting Marvel Unlimited. Um, Jess, what do you what do you think about? about all this i didn't even know they were doing this to be honest with you (laughs) i i honestly did not even know that um they were doing like little marvel digest i didn't even know that was a thing um yeah so that's actually kind of sad that they're that it was something i didn't even know existed and now it's already done um yeah i also don't understand how archie comics makes money either so I, I gotta think it's all like I mean right now it's yeah Riverdale. I gotta think it's all wrapped up in Riverdale at this point because there's a lot of Riverdale merch right now and I gotta think that that's and, and Sabrina because they like and comes Sabrina out like this week, right? yeah because because yeah, I mean they, they, that's a yeah I don't really understand it either because yeah well there's an entire show for Sabrina coming out and that comic just straight up stopped um so, so did uh, Afterlife with Archie I, I don't really understand. Yeah, I, I don't actually understand the Archie model either. It seems like they just come out with, like, the main book, and, like, they do, like, they hype up, like, a new version or a new take, and then it, like, just stops. Like, I don't understand the heart Archie horror line either. Um, but that's, like, an entire thing we could talk about, which we're not going to do right now. But, yeah, no, I'm with it. I, I don't understand how the Archie comics model works. I do like Riverdale, though, so that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I don't, I don't understand the, the Archie thing, but yeah, I I looked through some of these digests in the stores, and it's a pretty interesting mix of comics. Like they'll have some stuff from like a character's first like few years, um, and then they'll have a story from like maybe the '90s. They'll have a story uh, from like within the last ten years. They'll have a young, specifically younger readers story or two in there. Um, and it, every issue was focused on a different character. So I feel like it's a really accessible way uh, to expose anybody to just the wide variety of stories that any character can be in. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, well. Oh, well. Rip. R.I.P. <laughs> rip, like everything else at Archie. Um, rip, happy... 1950s america um anyway uh (laughs) so moving on last bit of uh small bit of news marvel studios has um reevaluated and taken one of their movies unannounced movies from 2020 off of the schedule so they had three movies scheduled, one in May, one in July, and one in November. The one in May and the one in November are still coming out. The one in May was supposed to be Guardians 3, 
and it has been pushed um, to an unknown date, but I think the rumor is that it will start production in 2021, um, which it was supposed to start production next year. So that's kind of a whole, it's a whole thing. Meanwhile, James Gunn's going to direct a Suicide Squad number two movie at DC, which is also weird, but that's another whole discussion that we are also not going to have here. Um, So Jess, what do you think about Marvel after the last couple years? Is it the last couple years that they put out three movies a year? Yeah, since 2016. And so then in 2020, so they'll have three years of putting three movies out and then one year of putting two movies out. What do you what do you think about about that? I, I genuinely don't keep track of how many come out each year. Um, so I didn't even know this was like a big deal, I guess. I didn't know this was like anything worth being like newsworthy, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't do we even know like what ex- I, I don't know. It's I, I, I don't really have an opinion on it. It's it's like, it's only 2018. <laughs> like, I can't really think out to 2020 movies. Like, my brain just doesn't perceive that. Like, I can't think, get excited for a movie that's that far in advance and, like, doesn't even have, like, a cast. Like, sure. <laughs> it's like, it's just an idea. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I got a lot of life to live between now and 2020. I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> Nick, what do you, what do you think about them yeah. going down to two movies for, for 2020? Yeah. I'm same, same boat. Like, have we hit superhero saturation point? Maybe. I don't know. I guess we'll find out in maybe. two years. Well, Titans is really bad. And I think that maybe we, I get called a, I get called a dumb shit on Twitter. Oh, that's because that's because you angered the DC fandom. You have to be very careful when you're going into that. You got to be real careful. Nobody warned me. Yeah, you, nobody told me. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. <laughs> you don't you don't want to accidentally get people uh, on you for that. Like it's it's like I'm halfway joking, but like they're also but the Marvel uh, the MCU fans are kind of the same way, um, but in like a different way. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to be careful with that. They're uh they're they're kind of a. Release the Snyder Cut is like an actual thing. <laughs> I just like I missed the orientation and all the Snydies are after me. Oh man, you, know, you, you got you gotta you gotta <laughs> get in there. You gotta email some people from Multiversity. We we uh we we got you. We can help you out with this. But you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. You gotta you gotta just like take a video of yourself dragging some thugs across <laughs> some broken glass that and then like send it to them. That and that's how they'll be on their side. probably get their sick kicks and like masturbate it's, to it or something. Yeah, because you got to be careful because if you start saying, wow, this show is really dark, well, you just aren't mature enough to understand it. So you got to be careful. I had, I pretty <laughs> much had that too. It was like... Yeah, no, um, it's very serious. I've seen, I've seen the most wild Twitter accounts um, based off of like the DC movies and it's very serious. Do not make jokes about the Snyder cut. That is a real thing that they insist is going to happen. It is sacred. It is a sacred thing. They, they are very serious about this. They, they have, they (laughs) protested once 20 people showed up. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's these people really believe that there is a Snyder cut of justice league that will never be released because Warner brothers does not want us to see how good, how good the movie actually was and then if you start angering the marvel fans they will tell you that you have no sense of humor and you'd have no good you have bad taste and that you just can't appreciate how wonderful the marvel cinematic universe is and how it changed everything gotta be careful out there on twitter 
You gotta be careful. I've 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 got some more <laughs> stories. You gotta be careful out there. Well, like sixteen of the people that so, went to that protest hated my review of Titans. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at. Got to be careful with those those uh, DC uh, expanded universe fans. Tricky bunch. Um, so I feel like all this talk about dark uh, interpretations <laughs> of characters leads us perfectly into yes. uh, what we're going to do next. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, Nick, man, gonna, I've got articles up uh, and everything. I'm getting real excited to talk about Venom <laughs> as a sex symbol. Here we go. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to title, gonna wing I'm it. Gonna title this episode wing Venom it. as a sex symbol. Yes! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so I saw Venom. Nick and Justin see Venom. So this segment is called Kevin Explains Venom to Nick and Jess. <laughs> 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 so I'm so excited. Turn it over to them. Uh. So, Kevin, I guess my first question is what <laughs> were you expecting, and how much worse was it in reality? Um, uh, well, the previews were really good. Uh, except for that X Men yeah. one. I'm not looking forward to that X Men movie. Uh, but I saw the Spider-Man, the Into the, Sp- the Spider-Verse movie, the animated movie that's coming out. Ooh, I, I did. It's very nice. It's very <laughs> nice. I'm excited about that movie. I will be very excited to, to talk about that movie. Um, but but then I'm, um, yeah. So Tom Hardy plays a whiny little bitch. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait. But I mean, is that all you got from it? <laughs> well, pretty much. Like, were you expecting I mean, like, that? I- I think I expected I so no I think I expected Tom Hardy to be more like Tom Hardy in other movies but he's not he's just like a sort of like wimpier whinier like Peter Parker kind of character but also like which maybe is who Eddie Brock is and I and I just haven't read enough comics and somebody on the internet can tell me that I haven't read enough comics um but yeah it's just like so, so why he's a Peter reporter Parker, like gets symbiote that makes him super violent i know absolutely nothing about this movie okay 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 let me give you let me give you the 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 play-by-play play-by-play all right so um stereotypical indian evil businessman launches rocket into space uh yes. space rocket finds a comet that has symbiotes on it and then he brings it back to earth it crashes on earth and then he like collects all these symbiotes and they're like oh now we have symbiotes they need to bond with humanity so that we can be better and we can move to space because climate change is destroying the planet let's go to space fake news is and fake news is bad i definitely (laughs) said fake news so eddie brock is a reporter uh, he rides a motorcycle. He's got like a like an Alex Jones Infowars kind of show where he like does oh reporting for like does reporting on his like motorcycle and shit. Um, and his like fiance is a lawyer. She ends up representing the like the corporation that all the symbiotes or whatever are doing the thing at. And like Eddie's like a crooked reporter, doesn't play by the rules or whatever. So he ends up like reading one of her case files and then like asks when he ends up getting an interview with Riz Ahmed's character that I don't even know if I could tell you his name. 
Um, it's like Drake something Drake. Let's just call him Car- Frank. Carlton Drake. Oh. Carlton Frank. Okay, so Frank. <laughs> so Frank. So he has a meeting. He, has, he, he interviews Frank. Frank drags his ass. Eddie Brock gets fired, and he gets his girlfriend fired. Beyonce fired, and then his life goes to hell, and then he starts drinking a lot, and then six months pass, and he doesn't really have a job, but apparently he has a really, actually decent apartment in San Francisco. Hmm. Sounds right, sounds right. Suspicious. (laughs) Could this have anything to do with the plot? Probably not. No, not really. He ends up like making real good friends with like a homeless woman who you know is probably oh, gonna die. For sh- oh, does. absolutely. Does he eat her? Uh, I'm sorry, but I need to know. Does he eat her? No, he doesn't Damn. eat her. He doesn't eat her. He doesn't eat her. He gets her sim he gets her her symbiote though, the symbiote that was in her body. So like oh, this like so people is this corpor- saying that like all homeless people have symbiotes? Oh man. No, no, it's saying that all homeless people in movies ah. die because I, he should have, he should have eaten her. I think that would have made for a good rated R movie if if they were looking. He did eat some people. Yes. He did, did eat, he some eat their whole bodies, or did he like just eat the head, or like just no, the just arm? the head? Oh, okay. just the head. And it, like, oh man, even, I gotta go see this movie now. <laughs> it wasn't even like he like bit the head off kind of thing. It was just like a, it, it was like a like a wimpy out wimp out of like the body. It was like. It like bites the neck and they like bleed out kind of thing. Oh, but like man. the like the Venom symbiote makes a lot of jokes about eating people. Yes. And it's like kind of endearing in the like second <laughs> half of the movie because it's like a oh you're just like a little puppy that's just like really hungry. It's endearing because uh-huh. it's also innuendo because it, Eddie it's, and it's, the it's symbiote this, are one. It's yeah. like little yes. shop of horrors. Yes. And yes. and and Venom the symbiote is is Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> feed feed yes, me. Yes. You <laughs> more. Feed me. Agreed. 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 So he makes friends with this homeless woman. And then like the scientist who who works for uh Frank uh, <laughs> <laughs> tries to get Eddie Brock to like write some shit about the labs because they're like putting all these symbiotes in people's bodies and they're all dying. And there are all these homeless people who are dying, and that's bad. And she's like not into it anymore. And then they break into the lab because he like decides he maybe wants to write the story. But this is like after he like walks by his old apartment and like tries to like win his lady friend back, and she's like with the doctor now, so she's definitely traded up. Um, and so he breaks in, and then he like gets eaten by the symbiote thing and then that woman definitely gets caught and dies that's jenny slater's jenny slate's character we um she dies how much how much does she do she doesn't do very much she definitely dies though okay amazing i feel like every not every but two of the three women that you've mentioned so far have died Most of the women in this movie died. I, I, I heard. I'm. I'm gonna let you keep going, but I did hear what happens with Michelle Williams. So does she die? Oh yeah. No, she doesn't no. die. She get. She gets like a cool role, sort of, but like it's still kind of weird because like Eddie definitely thinks that he can like get her back and stuff, but like she's dating a doctor and like things are nice. He's a nice guy. I don't remember his name. Also, we'll call him. Oh no, his name's Dan. His Dan, name. Was Dan yes. I was probably gonna think for him. That sounds like a Frank type name. Yeah. Um, it would have been like, great if his like name was Frank. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank and Frank. So Frank. Um, okay. So uh, 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 so 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 Eddie gets venom- venomized, 
in a in a sexual way and (laughs) and then all these people come to his house because they want to like take the symbiote and then he like ends up being able to beat the crap out of them and then like the symbiote calls itself venom and then like like just like makes fun of eddie for a while and just like talks down to him (laughs) it's like kind of funny just like calls him a loser and a pussy and all this stuff wait so it's like it's a comedy it turned the second half of the movie almost a little bit turns into a <laughs> oh god I'm gonna, i have to get for off a, i'm gonna go watch the movie right now <laughs> <laughs> for a period it does like and then like so he's like fighting all these bad guys and then he like is doing some other stuff and fighting some people and then they decide they need to break back into the laboratory thing um and he like goes it's like this whole there's this like whole car chase thing where these people are trying to get him he's on his motorcycle and he's like doing his venom thing is that the motorcycle that he does the news from it, yes. it was it was the news motorcycle he didn't sell the motor he somehow could still afford a really nice apartment in san francisco and keep his motorcycle yes. <laughs> I, don't know, I guess he, he's really attracted to to his to his ride to his hog <laughs> people men also imagining like how does he he park it he parks it in the he probably doesn't have a garage that's safe that sounds about right it doesn't have it didn't have like a like a bike lock or anything like alleys are a notoriously good (laughs) parking spot (laughs) exactly 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 agreed 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 um so meanwhile throughout this whole movie this is the part that is like just fucking nuts so the rocket thing at the beginning of the movie lands in Malaysia. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Naturally. That's where um, the Malaysian Airlines flight. Ah, is that what oh it my really God. was? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a flight full of, of symbiotes. Um, yeah. And now we're infected. Some of us are infected. This is an alternate reality. <laughs> we have created. Where it actually exactly. landed. Exactly. Exactly. So it lands in the forest. Um, one of the symbiotes escapes. And ends up like possessing these people all across Malaysia, and then ends ends up in a white girl, like a white little girl in an airport, and that flies to San Francisco, and then walks into the lab, and like Frank sees this little girl. <laughs> it's like definitely after hours. He's also like a bad guy, but he's like like smart, but like not smart, and he sets a lot of like weird biblical shit. Um, he's not a good actor. Uh and he's like, "Wait, oh, you're talking about Riz Ahmed?" Yeah, I love him. <laughs> I hated he. He was the worst part of this movie. Oh, oh man, man, that's uh, so bad. How? How? He's usually he's so good. Usually like, really he's, good. He sees this little girl, and it's like it's probably like ten o'clock at night, and she's like in the like private part of his lab, and he's like, "Hello," and he's like, "Are you lost?" And then like the symbiote jumps out and gets him <laughs> because like of course. <laughs> And now he's now he's a symbiote. He's he's Riot, which apparently Riot is a is a Venom villain. Yeah, like minor. Yeah, I, I even know who Riot is. <laughs> yeah, he didn't die, and and Eddie didn't die either. So like these other humans are dying because like they're like apparently it's just not really well explained. They're like not perfect matches for the symbiote or something, but like Eddie's a perfect match for Venom, and like Frank's a perfect match for Riot or something. Like they like their bodies work and stuff. So he bonds with him, and then he's like, I need to wa- launch this rocket back into space. 
for reasons. Oh, there are, I was gonna say, are there no actual reasons told to you? Pretty, it's like, I need to launch this rocket back into space because I need to go get more symbiotes to come to Earth okay. so that we can eat everyone. That's, that sounds about right. That, that's a good and, plot. And, and Venom's like, when I came here, I wanted to eat everyone. <laughs> but then I, but then I met you, Eddie Brock. Now I don't want to eat everyone. Because I was, he says this. He's like, I was kind of a loser back on my home oh planet. My God! <laughs> so like, now we can be best friends, and I guess maybe fuck yes! according to the context. Uh, <laughs> and it's all just ever wanted. Pretty, I think it confirms it confirms the 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 offshoot of of furryism that is this movie. Um, and and oh, so they're breaking back into the lab. This is the thing that happens with Michelle Williams' character. Um, Eddie gets like Venom. He gets like separated from Venom at some point because he goes to like the hospital with like the doctor boyfriend guy, and he like tries to do an MRI thing. But like, he cr- like M- Michelle Williams' character cranks the sound up, and because like the symbiotes are like they're like kryptonite or whatever is like sound and like fire, which is like dumb. Um, but that's a comic thing too. Uh, and so, like, he gets separated from the symbiote, and then, like, it possesses, like, her character for a little bit, and she also eats somebody. And then they make out again, because she's the only way, apparently, for the symbiote to go back into Eddie Brock's body is for her to, like, tongue it into his tongue. Wow! Into his mouth. I have um, to see this. <laughs> uh, which doesn't make any sense at all, because we've, like, seen the things, like, come out of people and, like, go into people and. It's just like, but she's also dating somebody else. And like they kiss for way too long. And they have like this scene at the end of the movie where he's just like, oh, I'm going to get you back. Ha ha ha. And she's like, no, I'm dating a doctor. And it's just like, brah, take a hint. You ruined her life. Um, he's like getting ready to lose the symbiote again so that she'll have to put it back in him. I, I, mm, I guess. No, no, I, I don't know. It's getting, uh, yeah, continue. Okay. So Frank and Eddie end up like fighting and the fight scene's actually kind of cool. Um, cause they're like symbiote things. They're like flying off each other and like flying back. It's very clear that the people spent money on the CGI things for the symbiotes. And that's the only thing that anybody spent money on for this movie. <laughs> um, okay. my opinion. Uh, so these scenes were good. They were good. The fight, the fight scene things were cool. Venom looks really cool. Riot looks really cool. Um, like it's not like bad CGI; it's like decent CGI. So that's cool. So um, he ends up fighting, and then you think that Venom like sacrifices himself with like the rocket going away from Earth, and like blows up in the fire, and Riz Ahmed's character dies, and Riot dies. Mm-hmm. So Frank dies, and Riot dies, and you think Venom dies, but then like Venom doesn't actually die. Because he's like in Eddie's head still at the end of the movie. And then the movie ends with him in a little Asian grocery store again, like he was at the beginning of the movie. And some gangster comes in demanding like protection money from the cashier and the the thing from the trailer of the like the we are Venom thing. And then that's how the movie ends. Is that was that the post credit scene? No. No, no, that was how the that was how the actual the actual film. Okay, was. should you talk about the post credit scene yes. first, and then we'll get more into okay. Okay, so and the post credit scene 
And they mention this in like the scene when Eddie's talking to Michelle Williams character at the end, he's got like a special interview with someone. And so the, the mid credit scene is him going to do this interview and it's in a, at a prison and he tells like Venom, like, okay, shut up. Like I'm going to go do my thing. And he walks in and he like gets to go into this prison, which like this security guard guys like real cranky and like also threatens him a little bit, which is weird, but he ends up going in there and he's interviewing a serial killer and it's Woody Harrelson. Yes! <laughs> Just Woody Harrelson? Or like, is he a character? <laughs> he's, he's, Cletus, he's Cletus Cassidy, so he's Carnage. Oh, okay. Um, and he like makes a like something about if he escapes, there will be Carnage or something. But he's got like this like really puffy red wig. Oh my god! <laughs> like, kind of looks like a clown, oh but like like a like a hit clown with like. A prison jumpsuit, but like it could very well be overalls. Wow. Woody Harrelson as Carnage is like the most genius thing ever, especially if he just plays this Cheers character as Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the only part of the movie that I was like, oh shit, this is cool. So inspired. Yeah. Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson doing far too much as Carnage and Venom. Like, I will, I'm going to go see that. Like, I'm going to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever get made. I hope so. (laughs) I'm looking for a picture of him with the wig, and someone just put a picture of Venom from the movie next to one of the main witches from Hocus Pocus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you gotta love the internet. So I I have a question. I am a big fan of Tom Hardy, and I love all his bizarre accents. How good is this accent? Like, how how ridiculous is it? Because, like, in the previews, it sounds like this weird Boston mix with, like, West Coast California guy, and it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, uh, he sounds like a really, like, whiny, like, mush mouth. Amazing. Like, it's just, like, is almost intelligible in, like, some <laughs> places. Um, and he just, like, says over and over again, like, to people, he's like, I think I've got a parasite, you know, and he's, like, talking about having venom in his mouth. And it's just, like, I just can't take him seriously with his accent. But apparently he voices Venom, too. Does and, it like, sound like venom. Bane at all? Like, is there a little bit of that Bane voice? Oh, it doesn't sound like Bane. No, it sounds like, it sounds like an actual monster. Like, the, the Venom, the Venom dialogue is good i've always felt tom that hardy is- has like an undiscovered career in voiceover acting he does the most wild accents like i remember going to see the dark knight rises and my sister got mad at me because i was sitting there with her watching it in a packed theater and he talked for mm-hmm. the first time in that bane voice <laughs> and all i heard was the saturday night live jeopardy uh version celebrity jeopardy version of sean connery and then that was it. I was done. <laughs> I'm like cracking up during this very serious scene. And she's like, shut up. But I'm like, it's funny. I can't. Yeah. I remember laughing at that exact oh. moment also. But just because I was like, what is this? <laughs> this isn't bad. Yeah. I was at the midnight Sean premiere Connery. too. <laughs> yeah. I think I laughed through more of that movie than I was supposed to. <laughs> Just because of how Tom Hardy sounds. <laughs> oh god, it's like it's like people are like, yeah, that movie sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but Tom Hardy's really strange. Yeah, accent. but Tom Hardy like yeah. that accent, it's <laughs> so good. 
No, agreed. <laughs> Kevin, did you laugh through Venom, or was it more like Suicide Squad bad, where it's like hard to even laugh at things? I think I like chuckled to myself <laughs> a lot. Okay. It's also probably and, like, hard to like laugh at a movie that's also trying to be funny when it isn't funny or good. Yeah, I like I like smiled a lot, but like smiled in that sort of like. Oh, mm-hmm. this is. I paid nine dollars for this. <laughs> <laughs> I could have waited until this came out on mm-hmm. on iTunes. I could have paid four bucks to rent it. So, or or when it made it to Netflix or something. So, how did it compare to, uh, for instance, Spider Man Three? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot more horror ish because okay. it's like some weird body horror stuff with the symbiotes. Nobody is flashing anybody the like, hey, <laughs> you know, finger uh, point things. Although, like, the weird, like, misogyny stuff is definitely still there. So they share that. Um, It's, I think it parts, it's so weird. I I felt like I had whiplash watching the movie. Because, like, the first half of the movie is, like, very serious. Or, like, thinks it's trying to be very serious. Because, you know, like, Eddie's, like, he's, like, successful and life's good. And then he, like, loses everything. Um, It takes forever for all the setup to happen like and he doesn't become venom and you don't see venom until probably like an hour into the film um like it takes it takes takes too long uh which is unfortunate it might not be an hour maybe like 40 minutes Mm -hmm. but still the movie's only 112 minutes so it's like right under two hours with the credits um that's a pretty normal like in superhero movie i guess in like the three-act structure of movies uh usually it's not until like the first quarter of the way through that like the character will fully become the thing that they're gonna be sure 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 it felt it felt longer than Mm -hmm. than that because i would have been fine with that yeah i am also looking it looks like there were three different screenwriters so i'm wondering like maybe someone had written a script that was like maybe for a two and a half hour movie mm-hmm. and the the studio liked the first like hour worth of it and then when they brought someone on they had them like write it and be like more funny in the second half but it also like reduced the time a lot so then the movie just ended up feeling wonky and like just unbalanced because i guess they never revised yeah. it. yeah that's just i guess yeah I think that's probably fair. The first half of the movie spends entirely too long with with Frank trying to be serious and making weird like evolution and Bible reference thing. Like he starts talking about Isaac at one point because this homeless guy's name's Isaac and he's telling him like <laughs> you need to sacrifice because like Abraham and Isaac and like tries to posit himself as like God and like this is for humanity mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Um, and just like all that crap that's, for real, real, really long time. That sounds about as bad as in Man of Steel when Superman just like randomly put his arms out as if he was Jesus on the cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And then like Venom, can, like when like Venom actually shows up in like the second half of the film, Venom just like makes fun of Tom Hardy over and over again. And so then it like, then there are jokes suddenly. <laughs> 
amazing. I don't know. That was my that was my best John Mulaney impression. <laughs> amazing. Uh, man, that yeah, I'm not gonna watch that. <laughs> oh, I, see, this just makes me want to see it even more, but not not to pay for it. So. Yeah, it sounds almost like Riverdale, like the oh, sorts so of twists you would expect in Riverdale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wish that I had been and was able to be more intoxicated (laughs) in watching it. Because I think that I would have had the ability to laugh more at the things that were just ridiculous and to just have had, like, instead of, like, being, like, for all the cringeworthy stuff, I could have been, like, that's really dumb. Okay, and then I guess... Final question. Uh, do you think that the movie would have been better if there was Spider-Man in it? So, for instance, if either if Spider-Man was the main antagonist or the opposite, if it was a Spider-Man movie that had this Venom as the antagonist? <laughs> I'm just, like, picturing Venom and Tom Hardy's head telling him to eat Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Tom Holland. <laughs> That would be really funny. It might have been better with like baby, t- baby innocent Tom Holland. Um, I, th- I think the tones are are too different from all of the from the from the MCU Spider Man like Tom Holland Spider Man. Well, I think like that. Andrew Garfield might. I think Andrew Garfield might have fit into this movie pretty well. Okay, but even. Like, if they had a completely new Spider-Man, like, I guess what oh, DC okay. is doing with all their different Batmans. <laughs> um, like, like, what if there was just a completely new Spider-Man actor, and he was the uh, the actual villain of the movie? Oh, I see. Um... Or, yeah, also, like, if it were the opposite, if it was a Spider-Man movie with a completely different actor, and, like, this was just, you know, the, the B-plot w- with the villain... Do you think it would have been good? Like, was there enough redeeming value there? Or was it just all bad? That's a good question. I think it would have been different. So, because the whole movie takes place in in San Francisco and not in New York. Um, And they mentioned at the beginning of the movie that Brock had done some, like, reporting stuff in, in New York. So I think they leave it open to whether or not he knew Peter Parker knew like a Spider-Man or anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think it would have been hard, um, to have like a Spidey in some way, some place, not New York, mm-hmm. I guess. And I, because like, they don't mention any like heroes stuff or any, anything like that else at all. I think it, I, I don't know if it would have been better. I think it could have only helped the like sort of comedic stuff and like the venom being just like mean to Eddie mm-hmm. when he shows up. That's interesting. So it's not even really like an anti-hero type movie. Like it doesn't really follow the hero movie sort of structure. Is it more just I mean, I guess it does because it does have that villain, uh, Frank, mm-hmm. and then it does have. It's basically an origin story. Yeah, it's like kind of like, um, is it Hitchcock? That's the yeah. like Will Smith. Yeah, that's a dumb superhero? movie. Okay, 
Um, <laughs> it is. It's a very dumb movie. Uh, this is like kind of like that because it's like Will Smith's character is like kind of a piece of shit, and like Tom Hardy's character is like kind of a piece of shit, and like he definitely kills people. Um, and like the symbiote definitely wants to eat people. And like, he's like Tom Hardy's talking to him at the end of the movie. It's like, all right, if you're going to stay on earth then like there are good people in the world, and there are bad people in the world. And like, you can only eat the bad people. Uh, well, uh, it's going full death yeah. note. Pretty much. Uh, and so like in that sense, like, it's like, a, uh, it's like, he knows he's like, he's like trying to be good, but he's like, also like, it's like morally ambiguous kind of. I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah. I, uh, anti-hero maybe is the right word, but like, I think that there's, I feel like when people use that word, there should be, and there's implied like a lot more nuance that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't a great film. I don't really want to see it again. I, 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 I agree with the, with the critics on this one. All right. <clears throat> any final thoughts from you jess uh i yeah i i gotta go see this movie i i have to see this movie at some point <laughs> like just it's amazing um i did have one final question though um i think any of our listeners who may be a part of the ever-growing we love sexy venom side of the venom fandom i think uh they would like to know about this supposed scene where tom hardy and venom kiss is that a thing that happens? Like, is there like a weird kissing scene? I think it's the scene when he's kissing uh, like Michelle Williams' character, and she's Venom. Okay. Because they like make out. Okay. And the and then like he like she sticks her like twelve foot long tongue down his throat <laughs> and transfers the symbiote to him. Uh, all right then. Back into his esophagus, down all the <laughs> tubes and things. Um, mm organs and whatnot that's what these yeah. that's, what, that's what people are into now it's true it's true all that, that, that organ sex yeah i mean because because venom, venom, <laughs> uh, a venom is apparently very sexy to some people and i'm glad that they have this movie now it's true it's true it it will fulfill all your all all the desires of your little heart <laughs> <laughs> could ever want um um yeah there's not a lot about this movie that's redeemable um but but i'm glad that i saw it maybe one day when this podcast reaches like a hundred we can all get drunk together and we can watch yes. venom oh my god yeah or we can start a video a video mm. a video channel or or a patreon account where we get drunk and watch bad marvel movies yeah, I hope that there's something even worse by the time that happens. I imagine that there will probably be a lot of things worse. And if you don't want to watch Venom, then we could watch Daredevil. Uh, excuse or... me, Daredevil is actually a classic? No, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. We could watch Howard the Duck. I don't know, whatever you want. Ooh, Look, ooh, Daredevil, the Daredevil movie starring Ben Affleck is actually pretty bad. But it yes. did have like an all evanescent soundtrack, and wow. teenage Jess was super <laughs> into that. <laughs> we can watch. Okay, we can watch Electra if that'll make if that'll make. Oh my god! Oh yeah. man! Oh man! <laughs> oh, 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm still looking for this Woody Harrelson wig. And um, <laughs> I came across an article titled Venom post credit scene explained, colon, Woody Harrelson is carnage. <laughs> That's all you have to say. That's the whole article <laughs> right it. there. I don't even have to click on the article. Great. Well, folks, we'll be back with more content after this quick commercial break. Hey everybody, Matthew from Marveling at the Movies here. Thanks so much for listening to one of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network's episodes. I just wanted to take a quick minute of your time to tell you about something that the Marveling at the Movies team is doing. This year, we're participating in Extra Life, which is a 24-hour fundraising and gaming marathon to support the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. Game day is November 3rd, and we'll be joining thousands of gamers and dedicating our entire day to playing games and getting donations from friends like you. 100% of the donations are going to our local hospital, the Boston Children's Hospital. So if you'd like to donate, your donation is tax-deductible and will make miracles happen for families who desperately need them. To donate, you can check out our team page by going to extra-life.org slash team slash four zero two six three that's extra dash life.org slash team slash four zero two six three this should bring you to the team home of the cool dudes and you can follow us on social media all day for links to our live stream where you can watch matt alexis and myself get super annoyed at each other as the insanity of being awake for 24 hours begins to set in it's going to be a great time thanks and enjoy the show and we're back to our episode of is venom a sex symbol our podcast <laughs> all about sexy venom and is venom sexy and should you have sex with venom and people making out with venom and venom and and eddie brock being an uh, item the internet and- tells me that it's good and that we should support it and i've never known the internet to lie the internet tells me so <laughs> the answer to everything that you've both mentioned is yes 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 good good (laughs) well we are actually continuing with some of our venom discussion e-type things so this second half of the episode we're going to be talking about um the the newest venom relaunch as part of marvel's fresh start and then we're going to be tackling some other issues uh that came out in the month of october so spider geddon number one daredevil number 609 which is the beginning of the death of daredevil arc and the ending of charles soul's run on the title and then also shuri number one which also came out this month so we're going to start by taking a look at venom number one through six and then we're going to talk about venom number seven which came out in the month of october so venom number one through six written by donny cates illustrated by ryan stegman inked by J.P. Meyer, and colored by Frank Martin. Uh, This book's been getting a lot of buzz at Marvel currently. It and Immortal Hulk kind of seem to be duking it out for best title in Marvel's catalog right now. Uh, People, and by people, I mean Ryan Stegman, have been saying that this book is better than Watchmen, uh, which has been a funny, fun time thing on, on the Twitters to witness. Um... But it's really good. It's a really good. It's a really good run so far. Um, and so we're gonna sort of dive into the first six issues and then talk about the seventh issue, which came out last week. So the first six issues are the first arc, and this first arc kind of um, puts Venom in a very different place. Although I don't really guess I have any grounds to say that because I've never really read a Venom comic um, or run or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kate's comes on and he starts to sort of expand the like the mythology 
of Venom, of like the symbiotes, of like their planets, of them as like a species and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, so we'll kind of we'll kind of dive in in right there. So Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you first. Uh, what were your What were your initial thoughts about reading uh, these these first these first six issues, this first arc? So back when the first issue came out, I read the first issue uh, just sort of on a whim, and I was like really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And yeah, right after that, I like reached out to Kevin. I was like, hey, at some point we should talk about this title, especially given all the like buzz that it was getting. Um, so we're like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll do the whole first arc when, uh, when we do the Venom movie. So I hadn't read, like I just put it aside and I just read the first six issues for the first time yesterday. And um, it turns into a completely different book than I thought it was going to be based on the first issue. Uh, so basically the first issue... Uh, it's sort of doing the same thing that if you're familiar with um, Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction and David Aha on Immortal Iron Fist, where they sort of reveal that there is this whole history of Venom symbiote wearers and like he's connected to all of them. And I thought that was super cool. I was so interested to read like a whole book about that. And then there was also like this subplot about like this, like God, like character, like at the end it says like God is coming. So I was like, okay, whatever. Like that's just going to be like a villain that they fight. That turned out to be the plot of the entire arc. It was all about this character who was like, I am God. And number one, that's like such a Donny Cates thing to do. Um, Hey, it is like God country, Thanos, um, even like his stuff with Doctor Strange got into that territory. Like, and I feel like the word God is thrown around so much in like superhero stuff, but never really explained. And I just, the entire time I was like, this isn't the book that I thought it was going to be. This isn't the book that I wanted to read. It was good. It was well-written. It kept me engaged, but uh, it's also really well-drawn and we can talk more about the art like separately, but in terms of the story, it just, yeah, it went in directions that I didn't want it to. Um, we can also talk more about the God thing, but Kevin and Jess, do you have any comments on that stuff? Yeah. So I think I, I think I agree with you that I thought this book was going to take a very different direction than the one that it actually did. Um, yeah, I kind of thought that we were going to be exploring all of uh, these like older um, people that had this like had the symbiote in Vietnam and all this stuff. And we were going to talk about like Vietnam things. And it was somehow going to be tied to Beowulf because that's like the first part of uh, the the first issue is like Kate's talking about Beowulf or whatever. Um, and that's not really that's not really what happens like at all. Cause then we get into like, you're right. We get into like just talking about um, this whole God thing and how God is here. And, but it's like not this dragon that's God. It's like this other thing that's God uh, like null is what it, it, it calls itself. And so that was, so that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. And it like somehow ties into like, the Thor mythology stuff and some of the stuff that like Jason Aaron did with like the God butcher and all that. 
which like that was kind of weird. I thought it was actually pretty cool how it works into the backstory. Like, oh no, this is like actually what the name of the planet is. But I also felt like that was sort of a throwaway thing because like you can't keep that. (laughs) You know, I feel like like a future writer is just going to completely ignore that or like they can or should. It seems like that kind of plot beat. But then the, the stuff about like why the Venom symbiote doesn't like like booming sounds and why it doesn't like fire. Um, that was pretty cool how it explained away those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah. And I think that like you were saying, like I think that there's still, I think there's still going to be room to explore some of, of um, like these other, maybe these, like these other symbiotes that have been to earth or whatever, or whatever else. Well, no, I guess not because that's like the gods. Of, but I think like because I think Kate's is going to be on this book for a very long time, like for like 50 okay. issues or so. So I think like there's still a lot of time to to flesh a lot of this stuff out. Um, but Jess, we're leaving we're leaving you out of the conversation. So I want to want to ask what your your sort of initial thoughts were. Before we keep- yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely not what I thought it would be. Like I I kind of glossed over some of the middle parts of this arc, but it definitely was not what I thought it would be. It was definitely, I mean, it still had, I thought going into it was just going to be like Venom beating things up and, you know, being Venom. Like, I I didn't think it would be deep. (laughs) Um, And there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here that was very unexpected to me. Um, But in a good way, in a really good way. Um, And I've read a lot of Donnie Kate's other work and, you can really see like him kind of like Nick, you mentioned it's like, he's really playing with a lot of other themes um, that he's played with before, but doing it like for venom. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of his uh, most of, I think almost all actually of his previous work have been like about people, like no, no symbiote monsters or anything like that. So for him to take all that and then kind of take all this humanity and, and stuff, um, very human emotions and themes and put them in a story about venom and a giant symbiote dragon is kind of awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. But I feel like it focused too much on all the wider mythology things. Like we didn't Mm -hmm. really get that much about Eddie's, you know, psyche, which like it felt like they were hinting at that or they would, I have to take this headphone off of my shoulder. Hey! <laughs> uh, I lost what I was saying, but you know what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like he's doing a lot of he's doing a lot of yeah, world for, world for sure. here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really cool because it's like beyond all the Spider-Man stuff, yeah. um, and it's like separate from a lot of the. I guess from what I've gathered, like the Flash Thompson sort of like Guardians of the Galaxy sort of like Venom in space stuff which is also cool, even though like he's, they're talking about like this planet of symbiotes or whatever. Um, and it's like, it's, it's doing all this like heavy mythology stuff and like doing it in, um, in like a, like a positive, like an additive way, as opposed to like a, like a regressive sort of like reductionist like kind of way, which I also think is kind of cool, but it's like following this pattern that like a lot of books have been doing lately of like, Oh, there's this hidden history that you didn't know. And here it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's definitely become a much bigger thing 
recently in comics. Like every now and then it used to be done in the past. Like I think of James Robinson Starman, but that was more taking stuff that had already existed and just weaving it together into one bigger story. This is more, it's like, oh, we don't actually have that history to draw upon. So like, we're just going to pretend it was there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of like, I kind of like that trip and I think it's really cool. But I think, yeah, like between this and Jason Aaron's Avengers and all the Justice League stuff and like Batman and Superman and like any of the big books at any of the big two, like we're doing a lot of that lately. Like we're doing a lot of like, here's all this stuff about this world that you didn't know. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Scott Snyder does, he a, does lot. It a lot. He does. That's his, that's his go-to. I'll, yeah. I'll say this though. Um, it is like a thing that everyone's doing right now, but I think with Venom that kind of made me like what I read a little bit more than I, than I probably would have as if this were just, what I envisioned it being, which was just a generic um, action title. Um, totally, so, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did either of you read the Venom? No. Mantra? <laughs> I love that title. Okay. Well, it's uh, that guy who he met in the first issue, who it turned out was a symbiote the whole time. Spoilers. Um, well, it, it turns out like the Venom story is uh, actually about that guy serving in i just hate when wise old black men wind up being symbiotes the whole time (laughs) (laughs) uh that is definitely a stereotype (laughs) what is what's the actual name of that stereotype it's called like the mystical negro i think yeah 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 i'm sorry i cut you off well no (laughs) um i do definitely want to talk about the art uh for a long time Or for a, for a medium <laughs> amount of time. Um, I have not liked a lot, Ryan Stegman on a lot of things prior to this. I know he did a lot of Spider-Man stuff with Dan Slott and some of the superior Spider-Man things. Um, but like when I started, I guess, like reading single issues really heavily, um, he was like one of the new artists on... It was Uncanny Avengers in the all-new, all-different relaunch. And I just remember looking at that book... And I was like, all of these characters just like have weird like ball shaped muscles and like weird sort of like stringy bodies and like bodies that like they just like look like they have many tumors all over. Um, and that might have just been a phase because I've liked him on like he did some of the stuff at the end of Slots Run and whatever else. Um, but I think this because like this doesn't look like normal um, like superhero art in this, or like like Marvel House style superhero art, and I think that's a lot of why I I like a lot of this more. And I think it has to do with um, the inker that he's paired with, uh, J.P. Mayer, because he's never been with Mayer before. And I think it also has to do with 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 Frank Martin's colors, with all the like the blacks and the grays and the and the and the reds. I mean, like the reds in the later issues, mm-hmm. not the reds necessarily in the first issue. Um, but it just like has such uh, a different just like a different feel from like any of other, any of Stegman's other work. And it looks a lot different. And some of the, I think some of those things that I found unforgiving and some of the stuff that I had read from him prior, uh, just like looks fantastic here. Yeah. So his art, I feel like it goes through a few different phases throughout the arc. 
which is really interesting um, because at the beginning, uh, I feel like he was really similar to Greg Capullo. Um, oh, and that was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like the way that he draws faces and like mm-hmm. bodies. Um, but then like, as the book goes on, uh, it just like specifically when that God character shows up, the way that his fingers are just so long and like pointy in that way. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of like early image stuff which is totally the stuff that he's trying to um, channel because this is a Venom book and like those artists, like a lot of them worked on the initial Venom stuff. Um, So that was really cool. I think Um, he also, his framing of shots is so interesting. And like, there are points where you'll just have like characters talking like back and forth for a lot of scenes, but the way that he frames the scenes like is just so unlike a lot of stuff and it really keeps you engaged it's it's like the visuals are telling a story that is just as interesting like if you were to just look at the panels and not read what was happening you're getting a story there and i think that really carries donny kate's writing um not that it's bad but like it can be a little like backstory heavy in points no, I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. And especially um, like those panels that are like the flashback sequences. So all that stuff, like I love the way that uh, like all those are colored or like the ways that like, he, like the panel layouts mm-hmm. are, are in those. And like, sometimes he does the, looks like the, like the webbing is like the panel divides and stuff. And um, yeah, I just think, I just think this book looks, looks, looks gorgeous. And so for segments, for segments mm-hmm. art alone, Stegman and Co's art alone, um, this is, this was a good read. Yeah, there are also a lot of uh, moments where he'll put like effects on the panel for extra, um, like extra impact on certain scenes. Like I'm thinking of the scene in the first issue. I think it's a double page spread where he like stops the truck uh, toward the end of the issue, and like it basically he turns into Venom and he just leans into a truck that is going like straight at him, oh, and it just yeah. crushes against him, and two of the men fly out of the window. Yeah, so that, uh, it's just really well drawn, first off, and just, it's so, there's so much movement implied in the image and the way that everything is posed, but then also, he, like, the coloring, and I don't know if it's, like, an after effect, like, that the colorist did, or if it's something that, like, Stegman did, but it, like, it sort of focuses on the center, and then, like, the very outsides are almost blurry, and it just gives it a really interesting feel and it makes you really feel that impact a lot more. Mm-hmm. 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 Jess, what do you, what do you think about all the RD things? Yeah, no, I'm kind of with Nick here, actually. Like I really enjoyed what Stegman did. Um, there are a lot of really cool things in it that I think only like really Stegman could do. And that's why I was really I mean, I'm not a huge Venom fan, like, at least, like, the comic book version or whatever, but um, I really think Stegman's style lends itself really well to doing a book like this. He's just very good at this. Like, this is this is right up his alley, and it's so expressive and violent and um, exciting. Like, I, I really did like 
the, the few issues that I read, I really did like what I saw. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Stegman, and I just think that this was the right book for him to start to to join. Um, yeah, it's good. It's it's really good. It's it yeah, it is really really good work. Agreed, agreed. So, let you want to transition to to the to the newest issue then? So to issue seven. Yeah. First off, I want to talk about like. What does a comic book character mean when they use the word God? Because, like I was saying before, it's just thrown around mm-hmm. so much. And I feel like there's just no clear definition, like, either within their universe or even within our world, like, the way that people throw it around. It's like, sometimes people just mean a powerful being, and sometimes people mean, like, the one, like, God, capital G, God, like, omnipotent. Um, and... I don't know. So, like, what did, what exactly did they mean when they were calling this character a quote-unquote god? Uh, well, I think for for like this culture and for like this this like planet or what? This is so weird talking about this in terms of like combat characters and like weird alien planets and <laughs> shit. Um, like for this like alien culture or whatever, this being, uh thing was like is like was is god to to them like i think i think a lot of the times uh and and in comics but also and we don't we don't think about this enough necessarily in the western world because we like monotheism a lot and we like like our capital g gods um but like they're i think they're saying like to this people in this context at this time this thing appears to be god or like god or a like a god or like something worth like revering or like fearing or worshiping so on so forth because i think like isn't like part of the backstory that like the thing had like been there since like the beginning since like the beginning of creation with like the celestials and stuff and then it Uh it ends up um sorts of like like spreading itself out and like being able to like take over all these other different living beings and then those beings because stuff happens like in the connection to all those beings is or like his like um like his like um not on omnipotence but just like his ability to like be like the puppet master and control all those things is separated and so like that's where like all the venom people come from and so like it's out of like this being that you could call god that all of these other things are like created and so it's like a contextual sort of okay and he is sort of like he is the hive mind he says but in that case i just wonder like i mean we're getting like (laughs) deep here but it's sort of saying like you said puppet master it's almost like these things are all just his playthings and yet they can also defect which i guess would be an interpretation of like the christian god um Maybe. I yeah. Don't know. I don't know that I necessarily read it like that. Um, and maybe, maybe part of that, mm-hmm. I mean, cause I like, I, I mean, I'm in divinity school and I've read like a lot of other different pieces and like mythology stories from like different cultures and different like pantheons and different, just like other like indigenous people and whatever else. Um, I think, like in yeah, in the aspect that like you can rebel against against God. Like I think that 
I would have to think that something like that is present and in all in like all different sorts of like cultures and religions or whatever, what have you. Um, I think what's interesting about comic book gods or whatever is that like, is they're, they're real. So this, like the symbiote knows that this thing created it. It knows that it gets all these powers when it interacts with it. It knows, um, that like it's like this like primordial being and whatever else and like it gets to like actually interact with said being and like us like we don't we don't interact with with our like our gods or god in that Mm -hmm. way like human people don't do that yeah i think that's such a big i guess part of my conception of what a god is or should be uh because i feel like any God requires some sort of leap of faith. Um, not to get, I believe, Kierkegaardian on us here. Uh, but I, I do think that... Uh, like, it's better it translated that. as a leap into faith. Um, <laughs> oh, leap into kidding. faith. But whatever, you get what I mean. It's like, there has to be, like, you have to have that faith, which is just an undying devotion to this thing that you can't necessarily prove. Um, and I feel like when you remove that from the equation, it's like, then it's just a being like, why are you calling it a God? It's just like this being who, you know, exists and you like, like just interact with. Yeah. Um, sorry. I was, I was making that. They make that joke in the good place. Uh, um, (laughs) since we talked about that earlier, uh, I think it's, it's like, again, like it's a matter of perspective. Like, I think that if, if you were like to be able to see or to be able to like know the thing that like you as a being came from or like were created from, not like your parents, but like you as like a species, like you as all this, like, and if you could physically interact with that thing, would it still be a being or would it be, would it be a God? Um, And I think that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think most comic books treat gods like beings, just like other different sort of like anthropomorphic um, things that exist and they treat them as real. And that's interesting. And like, that's like cool. And there are implications that come of that. Like, I think that like the sort of like the underlying assumption assumption in this conversation and that like, there's not really any gods because they all exist and like all these pantheons exist. And like, there's also all these heroes that are as powerful as gods and that fight gods. So how can there be real gods? And those are cool questions. And, um, and maybe the idea of like gods, quote unquote, can be overused in comicdom in that, like in that regard, because they show up so often, they're always seen because, you know, comic books are a visual medium. And so if you're going to talk about God, then you have to show, god like god has to be there um so i don't know i think i those are i think those are interesting questions though okay well i don't think venom's gonna give us the answer (laughs) (laughs) no i don't i don't think god i read god country so um yeah yeah but let's go ahead and move on to uh to venom number seven so the arc ends with uh with venom six and so they they don't kill they don't kill the god or they do they kill that version of the god so they kill the like the grendel ver- like the uh 
a Beowulf version of the god, yeah. but like the god still exists in like this planet, in the core where all the of the home live. planet. Yeah. yeah. So then we move into 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 issue seven, drawn by is it Ipen, is it Co Coelho Coelho mm. Bon Coelho Coelho. Okay. Um. Um. I'm going to just apologize. Uh, and so we start a different arc. And so like the, also the end of that, like the symbiote is not really talking to, to Eddie anymore, but it's like still around. So it's like not dead. Uh, like at the end of Venom when it's not dead, but it might be dead at the end of the movie. Um, but the interesting thing about this, this issue that I wasn't uh, prepared for oh is that, um, <laughs> The maker shows up like evil, oh evil, ultimate Reed Richards shows up. I just like I love whenever the like comic book font from the the ultimate Marvel universe stuff shows up. Oh, <laughs> that's who that was. Yes, he is. He's from the ultimate universe. <laughs> I, I think that they said that and I missed it. That's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes more sense now. I, I read that whole like trilogy of Bendis oh, ultimate God, so bad, like <laughs> things and uh <laughs> yeah, they were not very good. But um, I was wondering why he also had different lettering in this Venom issue. Like his lettering was different from Eddie's and his lettering was the ultimate lettering. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, They. I guess they carried that over in like Hickman's Avengers stuff because like he shows up a lot there and they like make sure that he has like the comic book lettering from like the Ultimate Universe stuff. Mm-hmm. And he showed up a couple times in like Al Ewing's Ultimates thing, and he had like the lettering. I just think it's okay. better lettering. Um, for the re- or for the record, the reason why I read those uh those Bendis Ultimate stories is because I knew that the character came back in the Hickman stuff. But wow. I I haven't read it yet. But I was like preparing for it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So just talking about your boy, the maker. What did you think My of? Boy. What did you think of Ben oh, Seven? Um. Yeah, I kind of like that he's in it. I don't know. I, I guess it's going to take some time to see if it even makes sense. But I'm kind of... I always really liked... Um, so the Ultimate Universe is... When it, when it started, was a really good idea. And if you read like the character bios for a lot of the alternate versions, they're all really good ideas. Just the execution was really not good. Um... <coughs> um yeah, it's like the most mid two thousands comics you could edgy male skewing comics you could probably ever find. Um, but I liked the ideas behind a lot of these characters, and I really liked the idea of like evil Reed Richards because Reed Richards was never that far off going to the dark side anyway. He just kind of fights it off a bit. He just fights it off really well. But um, so yeah, I really like evil Reed Richards. I'm into it. Um, I. Am interested. He's like, one degree Venom's... away from evil and seven degrees away from Kevin Bacon. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I did like Venom Seven because of that. I I think that's interesting, and I think after everything that happens in that first arc, to now have the symbiote kind of be not responsive um, is is a really interesting concept, and and that's why it does seem like Donny Cates is going to be in there for a while because clearly he's going somewhere with this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really did like this issue. I, I was really, I didn't know um, that the character was going to show up here. So um, that was a nice surprise. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I'm 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 into it. I I really did like the issue. I wasn't super crazy about the art, but I did really like the the story. I I liked it. Yeah, I felt like this issue uh, again, it was it's not going back to the thing that I wanted to see from the Venom series, which is like exploring past Venoms, but uh yeah, so I was like I felt like this was either the beginning of like a second out of two arcs. Like I feel like this could end up like this series could end at the end of this arc or maybe an extra arc or two after that. But, um, and I was like, or maybe we really are just in beginning phases and it's going to last a long time. I don't know. But either way, yeah, just this issue alone didn't do much for me. Uh, it was just like them sitting, talking back and forth, not doing much. And, uh, it, I felt like you could really feel Stegman's absence because that was something that he did a really good job of making interesting in the first six issues. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's also weird that like Eddie Brock seems to have like eaten his like Wheaties or beets or whatever um, between like this issue and the last issue. Cause yeah, he, that like, was so weird. He burned all his hair and off he cut his hair. and he yeah. all of a sudden is fucking bulky and I don't get it. Um, but so, yeah, so I think, in, yeah, I think in some ways, uh, yeah, like you can feel like Stegman's absence here. And also cause like the colors look normal um so like it lost some of its like in that sense like lost like the uniqueness and like the art and stuff um i i think it's really really cool that the maker shows up i think that i had the opposite sort of reaction nick i was like oh donny kate's got plans because i don't think that you just introduce um a character like ultimate reed richards and not have some sort of like huge thing that you're building to like marvel universe wise so i thought that was really cool well i i also I didn't know oh, who that okay. was. Okay. Okay. I thought it was just like some dude. So I was like, oh, it's just some dude. <laughs> you know? I said, didn't they end Secret Wars with, uh, I think he got, um, oh man, I think that they made a copy of him for every single um, new universe that exists after that event wraps up. I think that's what happens. So he's everywhere now. So I don't know if like anyone's gonna kind of pick him up to be like a massive villain for like the entire Marvel universe to fight, but it seems like he might be headed that way, because um, he just kind of always had that potential in the Ultimate Universe. Um, but they were so busy with uh, that Ultimatum storyline and like how crazy that got. But I think that's what happened. I think that that story for him ended with him getting duplicated into every single new universe that exists. And um, they share consciousness, I think, if I remember it right. Like he knows what the other, they act independently, but he knows what like the other versions of him are up to. I think that's right. Um, I think, I think Al Ewing like expanded on that and like the ultimate stuff. I think that's where some of, uh like that that messiness of it comes up because al because al ewing used him like right after all the secret war things yeah he's such an al mm -hmm. ewing type yeah. villain yeah yeah <laughs> uh and i think like i think that uh like you're absolutely like you're right like i think that you use a character like this if you're if you're building to something sort of big mm -hmm. like big and crazy and i th and it seemed like al ewing was 
and whether or not he got to do all of that is 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 debatable um yeah no i think i think this is cool and i think it's cool like with the fantastic four you know back now so like reed's like back in the spot it's like they're yeah they're just like a lot of possibilities here and i think that's cool and and bendis isn't there anymore so it's it's interesting to see um, other people get to play with with this character, because because um, like if you're going into this, you don't know anything about the Ultimate Universe because it doesn't exist anymore and, and everything. Well, the books don't exist anymore. The universe still exists, but the books don't exist anymore. Um, you don't know about him. You don't know what Bendis did with him because Bendis created him. I think, yeah, Bendis made all those characters. Well, yeah, and and Mark Miller, um, which is why I said it's like the most mid two thousands edgy comics you could get at Marvel. Um, and it's it's yeah, it's interesting to see um, a character like this get to show up without Bendis having any part of it. Um, which isn't me trying to like hate on Bendis. It's just Bendis was such a force at Marvel, and a lot of the characters he made, no one else could really do anything with. Um, but now he's not there anymore, so now it's open season, and that that that's kind of I, I want to read this arc. Like this arc is gonna this is gonna keep me around Venom for at least this arc because I, I want to see what happens um, with this and with Maker and and watch Maker kind of move around uh the uh, marvel universe a little bit more see what he's getting ready to do agreed agreed nick you got some some final thoughts on venom 7 mm, maybe i'll read more now that i actually know who that character is <laughs> i might wait until the end of the arc and try to binge read the whole thing at mm-hmm. once I think this i think this arc is only two issues it's like a transition arc and then stegman comes back on it is okay uh, um, we'll see. You guys, let me know. And we 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 we've got to do an episode about Ultimate Marvel at some point. Oh, yeah. Because now I'm just thinking about how bad some of that was, and I would really have fun make like talking about that. So <laughs> I um may not have read a lot of like the main Marvel stuff, but I have read every Ultimate Marvel comic. Wow. I. I've read, yeah, I, I don't think I've read all of it, but I've read a lot of it. I, I got kind of weirdly into, like, alternate versions of Marvel and DC characters. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I was working at a comic shop, I was like, what do we have? And we had, like, all almost all the Ultimate stuff. Because so, um, that actually was very popular for a while. Um, and it sold pretty well in trades at the store I worked at. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I haven't really read much of it i only read the that like 12 issue like there were three four issue minis which was where like the maker became the maker like he reed richards turned evil um but yeah other than that i don't think i've read anything more oh i have i read um like a year worth of the miles morales spider-man stuff from like the middle of the run but yeah that's it for ultimate stuff but i do uh want to read some ultimate spider-man and i'm definitely going to read all the hickman ultimate stuff i would love to do an episode about like the first couple volumes of ultimates because that's <laughs> that's some choice oh the, the, uh, the hickman miller. stuff or the, the miller stuff the miller that's just, stuff that's just bad <laughs> that's just 
really. It's so bad. Really so bad. Oh yeah, it's it bad. It it's you. It, it really is. You have to think of when it came out too. Like, I'm sorry, we're getting so off track here, but it came out like the first one. I think came out not too long after um 11. Yeah. And so um. Mark Miller is like going all in on like yeah I think it came it came out 2002. Um it it really leans in to like shield and them having so much control and what superheroes are in a world that exi- that that's like this and it's really dark it's it's so unnecessarily dark and it's so funny because it's very bad that's um, like everything yeah. that i don't want in a comic book <laughs> yeah no it's 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 something it's also, something so um, horny yeah. it's like just it's just weird Oh my god. You know what? We're not even Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Okay. See, this is why we have to do an episode about it so we can dunk on it and laugh at this okay. cuz it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. When I so when I got Marvel Unlimited and uh, we can we can move on. When I got Marvel Unlimited, I was like, I don't know where to begin. Uh, I've been talking to people I knew like what all the Ultimate Marvel stuff was and I like wanted to read some like regular Spider-Man story things so I read like all of Ultimate Spider-Man and I read like the Ultimates and like I read all the X like I read all Ultimate X-Men which was also garbage and the Fantastic Mm -hmm. Four stuff which is also not (laughs) super great and just was like well this is like a universe that I can like know everything about and then I did. Um, oh, do you know what I just remembered what? about the Ultimates, the three, the three ish, the three uh, series? I know I'm not misremembering this. There's like a whole thing where I think it's Ultron. He leaks a sex tape of Tony Stark and Black Widow. He does. He does. That absolutely yes. happens in Ultimate. Yes, Ultimate. that happens. Yes, then, I think it's the third one. No, that's in the second. That's in the second one. It's in the second one. There you go. I th- because uh, because he like kills her or whatever because uh, she's like a Russian spy. <laughs> Uh, and then in the, in the third one, and the third one, uh, 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 Janet has to explain incest to Captain America because apparently they didn't yes. have that in the 1940s. Yes, but then is it is it is it who is it that's like is it Wasp whose powers are like she's literally like a bug? Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe. And it's weird. It's someone. It's one of the characters who's like actually a bug. Who's the one oh. that Blob eats? Wasp, yeah, she wasp, has, yeah. like eats her in half. Like he eats her. Like, that's what he does. Hate eats him. Yeah, like, a ju- and he like actually like like beats the crap out of her in the Ultimate Universe. Like it's yeah, yeah, just, like, the subtext from like the yeah, 80s, so he just like actually abuses her. Yeah, it's it's rough. Like it, yeah, but blo- like that was I think that was actually why I ended up reading it because I was really confused that people were like, um, no, Blob eats Wasp. I was like, what do you mean he eats Wasp? What does that no. mean? <laughs> He no, that's it. literally what I happens. He, he eats her. Taste like chicken. <laughs> he eats <Freaking> her. <laughs> Jeff Loeb. Oh man! Oh, the ultimate universe, man. Well, um, oh. speaking of alternate universes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's move on. Um, <laughs> Nick keeping us on track tonight. Oh man, guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so moving on. Ultimate, uh, alternate, not ultimate, alternate universes. So. Um, 
we're going to review Spider-Geddon number one. The... I totally forgot we were doing this. I read it, but I totally <laughs> forgot that was one of the books. <laughs> hey, Jess, we're going to review Spider-Geddon number one. <laughs> Written by Christus Gay. From, with like, this is a weird credit. From a story by Dan Slott and then art by Jorge Molina. Um, so, Jess, I haven't read the original Spider-Verse book. Um, can you give like the like one to two minute sort of like here or less than that like synopsis of like here's the nuts stuff that happened in that book yeah um so basically the main plot is that um all the spider-mans of ultimate alternate universes have to team up um to go against this guy named Deimos who is like the they're part of this thing called the inheritors I think and there that's mentioned in this issue and they are bent on like destroying the alternate worlds and everything and so basically all the spider-mans have to team up to take care of that to beat these guys um and kind of save the multiverse that's that's it in a nutshell and all the early tie-ins are basically just how um all of the other spider-mans are recruited to the team you get their origin and then like how they how they come in but basically there's these bad guys called the inheritors and they have this technology that could like destroy the world and all the alternate universes and all the spider-mans have to team up and take them out it's funny when you explain it like that. It's like a very, very basic story. And that's sort of how I felt going into this. Uh, or just, you know, reading this issue. It was like, yeah, you have all these characters together, but it feels like any of like the actual like story story happened in oh yeah like other books. And now it's yeah. just like these people are getting together and they're going to fight some people. Yeah, it, it's, it's not a complicated concept. And... Like you could go into all the other things. I just, I just don't because I don't think you need it for this story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would sort of disagree because I feel like, uh, I don't know. Like, I wonder if Dan Slott was actually writing this. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. You, what was you going could, on with you this, could read so like the the actual like five issues. I think it was five issues, or was it six? That was like the actual main plot, and just go. Like you don't need all the tie-ins. The tie the the Edge of Spider Verse tie-ins are pretty cool. Um, because you get um you get who was it? Was, was Spider Gwen? Yeah, that was how Spider Gwen okay. became a thing. Um you get a superior Spider Man. The Gerard um, Way, like Evangelion Spider Man. Yeah, which is like the best. <laughs> in the uh the movie. I'm so pumped up about that. Um, <laughs> um yeah, but is he the one that dies in this in this issue? Is she? I don't know. No, not Spider Gwen. The the Gerard Way Spidey. The like Spider Noir. No, Spider Noir is not him. His is the is Penny. Um uh Spider, which is the uh yeah, the, the oh. literally it's Evangelion, but Spider Man. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, never mind. Carry on. Might be. Maybe. So, um, uh, I don't know where we were with that, but oh yeah, yeah. If uh, if Dan Slott were writing this, I wonder if it would have been more interesting. Uh, just because I feel like he has a way of making any like 
very simple like hero versus villain story into a really interesting thing and it's like if you just take the plot notes like maybe it's just very basic and i feel like that's what we got here yeah see i, I really liked it because i read most of spider-verse and i don't read like a lot of the spider-man stuff but i like i said i really do like uh, alternate versions of characters I've, i'm always interested in what you can do with that and um yeah so i was into that but um I think the first issue, but I think Edge of Spider-Verse had this issue too. The the first issue of that and that main series, it gives you all the information you need, but all the really good stuff is in the tie-ins. And I think that's what's going to happen with yeah, this. Yeah, there are a lot of tie-ins and the tie-ins all look cool. And I wish that I'd, I, I yeah. didn't make time to read yeah. like the Edge of Spider-Geddon stuff and some of the other tie-ins that, tie-ins that are on. No, I, I haven't yeah. yet. I'm going yeah. to, but yeah. I haven't yet. Because this issue seemed almost like unintelligible to me like there's some spidey people that die like spider-man uk dies and spider-man noir dies like it's they get killed and like that seems like it should be heavy and i'm sure that if i had read the like original spider-verse stuff and sort of knew a little bit about like the spider-verse and all these different versions of spidey i might like feel like oh this is really sad um but i don't have a lot of that a lot of that background and so it was just kind of like oh we're killing some alternate Spideys and hopefully things get better. And also Doc Ock's wearing white and it's after Labor Day and you're not supposed to do that. I still feel, I still feel so weird about Doc Ock of Superior Spider-Man being like in all of this. It's so strange to me that that, that, that character has stayed around in that yeah. form. Yeah. Well, and he's going back. I think it looks like he's going back at the end of this. So, That'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the case. Like with the with Spider Verse, you had the twenty ninety nine um, series that was pretty good. Um, there, there was uh, I think there was a Spider Man UK um, tie in too. Um, uh, there was another there was there was like one that was like a comic strip style Spider-Man. There was there was uh, Uncle Ben Spider-Man. There was a uh, steampunk Spider-Man and they were all like featured in like a bunch of the tie uh, the tie-ins and then there was like a there was there was the Spider uh there was a Spider-Woman series and I think that was a couple of them teaming up and then of the the the, the women teaming up and yeah it was it was cool there were a bunch of really cool ideas and i think like spider get in like the main series is going to be where like the main plot gets wrapped up but all the cool explorations of those characters i think that's all going to be um in those tie-ins and still on topic there's actually a um if anybody is interested in that um so if you've got like if you if you've got a smartphone, which is like everyone, um, there's a there's a Temple Run style Spider-Man game, um, where it's like literally every single version of Spider-Man is in it, and like it it borrows like some of the plot from like Spider-Verse. <laughs> so like, you could be like running doing the story as Spider as Punk Spider-Man or Spider-Man Noir and and stuff like that, and like they're doing they're gonna do a Spider Get In like tie-in event it's a free game i figure somebody might be interested in that yeah i played it on and off for a couple of years it's it's a fun time killer oh that's cool yeah that's cool well if the uh tie-ins are more interesting let me know and i'll read those yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, going back to the tie-ins thing, like I definitely want to read a lot of the tie-ins and like, I'm, I'm curious about like the new like Spider-Gwen book. That's, that's a part of this and spinning out of it. Cause, uh, like, I think that it's, it's cool that Marvel's had like a good track record with getting all these like fantasy and new adult authors to do some of their, mm-hmm. their fun books. And so like, I think that Sean and McGuire is going to be a, like a fun addition to, to Spider-Gwen. Um, but yeah, Nick, if the tie-ins are better, we'll, we'll definitely let you know. Sweet. Uh, y'all got any other, other fancy Spidey thoughts? No. Cool. GS. No, I'm good. Okay. We're going to truck along. I don't know what accent this is, but I feel like Tom Hardy. <laughs> um, moving on to Daredevil you number six. my voice. <laughs> moving on to Daredevil number 609, written by Charles Soule and illustrated by Phil Noto. Um, this is the first part of the Death of Daredevil arc, which is four issues and the end of uh charles souls like almost it's almost like 50 issue run yeah he had a pretty decent run yeah um so uh so yeah we'll start we'll start with nick on this one what did you think about this book um wait i'm sorry i stopped paying attention for like two seconds what book are we talking about (laughs) (laughs) wow that's we're talking about Daredevil. Oh, punk kid. Sorry, I uh, I got a text. Um, okay, Daredevil. Wow, who's the from? What, what was that? <laughs> who's the text from? Oh my god, the text from? Nobody. See, this would be a great place for like the air horn. Just blast it. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. I wish I had that that sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. Was it from Venom? Was it yeah, from, it was like, from Eddie. Um, but like okay. mixed with the symbiote, okay. so I guess that is Venom. You were right. I'm just trying to throw you off my trail. Okay. Who is it really? Nobody really knows. So um, anyway, <laughs> Daredevil. Uh, Matt, he's a dude. Um, he wears a mask. He gets, at the at the beginning of the issue, he, he gets hit by a car. and um, A whole I, I, truck, actually. A whole he gets hit by a whole a truck, whole like truck. not even just the grill, like the whole thing. <laughs> not even just like half a truck. Um and like you're like, oh my god, is this how he's gonna die? And then all of a sudden he's just like in a cast. Not a cast, he's in a sling. And then um <laughs> and then like the issue continues. That recovery. And it's though. just like a completely different story about Mayor Fisk, which is a thing, and yeah. uh then it ends. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound so um, negative on it. It's just late, and I'm jokey. Um, so, yeah, what what was this issue? It wasn't bad. Uh, I actually liked it. Like, I liked reading it. I liked the experience of reading it. But then when I was done, I was like, those were two different issues that I just read. Um, Phil Noto's art is amazing the entire time. Uh, I like the way that he uh, depicts Matt's, uh, like, the way that he sees um, there were a few scenes where he did that in like a very liney, like up down liney style, which is pretty cool. Um, he also, like, he also colors his own work. So, like, there were certain points where like he would use that. Like, for instance, there was a point where uh, Foggy brings him flowers, and Matt's like saying how like the flowers smell really strong. And like, if you look at the flowers, they're just this like sort of 
pink hazy aura type thing around them but it's subtle but it's like is there and yeah just little touches mm-hmm. like that uh phil knows a great mm-hmm. artist yeah yeah jess what did you what did you think about this first this first part of the death of daredevil, daredevil is so weird because every time i read a random daredevil issue i'm like man i really like daredevil i should read daredevil and then i never read daredevil um so yeah no i actually really like this i i like i said i i i feel like i should be reading daredevil more often and um yeah i i like this but it does feel like two very separate things like i knew about the mayor uh fisk thing because they 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 hyped that up pretty decently so i knew that that was a thing um and i like that in this issue even though it does feel like two separate things like the whole him getting hit by a car a truck thing was really not necessary i guess because i don't know where that's going unless he is actually already dead and this is all happening in his head it's a twist. <laughs> um, but yeah. I like that Fisk is mayor and clearly Daredevil is not okay. Like, it's not like, okay, I have to stop this not okay. It's like, he's obsessed with this not okay. And I think that's interesting. I always like that in a story. I like to watch um, like street level heroes like him kind of lose it. A little bit. I like watching Daredevil be miserable. That's what I'm trying to get at. I like when he's sad. It's good. <laughs> it helps um, me overcome my own misery. It helps me overcome my own misery. And I, and I uh, always, I Phil Noto is like, oh my god, I am going to read this entire arc if he's doing the art on every issue. Like I, I will read comics that I did not intend. Like I was never going to read because he's doing the art because he's so good. He's just so good. It's so that book is so beautiful. Yeah, I think he's been doing the art on this book for for like a couple arcs now. That's crazy. Now I have to go find out. Now I'm going to research that because now I need to go and read a bunch of Daredevil. Yeah, there's a lot of this. Like, I will pick up. I picked up a couple issues uh, from like the beginning of of Soul's Run on the book and really liked them. And I think I like started reading it like a while back before it like assumed the legacy numbering or whatever. Um, and I just am so far behind with all of this. Yeah. I thought that this issue was two separate issues. Like y'all were saying, it was like, Oh, he gets hit by a car. And I guess, well, I guess he's dead now, but he's not dead. He's just in the hospital. I think it'd be funny if every issue of this arc is him getting like hit by a car, like run over by like a tractor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, feel, it feels kind of mean to do that to a blind guy, though. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's funny that Soul's still trying to make the Inhumans a thing. Um, yeah, like he's got Reader in there. Like, what are you yeah, doing, like, man? I made this character. He's still important to me. He's he still yeah. counts. Um, and also, <laughs> I'm really confused why uh, Electra's naked in Matt's bed when he gets home. Oh my god, that's such a weird... I thought she was dead. I genuinely thought she had died. Yeah, I think she's alive in Soul's run. See? That's why I think he's dead. Yeah. I mean, I could also be completely wrong here. I have nothing to go off of. I just thought she was dead. Also, like... <laughs> I have nothing backing this up. I just thought she was All she's got to say is, like, Matt. And then they're boning. I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, the way Phil Noto draws her, you wouldn't have 
like jumped in that bed too because that was that page is beautiful. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm, and I, I agree with you. I'm not denying <laughs> that, that. I'm just in like, oh, okay. I don't. <laughs> I got to that last page and I was like, whoa, Phil Noto, what are you doing here? This there are children. It seemed here. like it was coming out of left field, and I was just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> So technically, it was like three different series. It was like three different yeah. books. One where Matt gets hit by a car. One where he's obsessed with destroying Wilson Fisk, and then the other one where he's like, "Wow, I just walked into my apartment and Electra's naked yeah, in my and bed." One where he gets laid. And it's, there it's you a go. Happy time. <laughs> happy time for for Matt Murdock before he dies, unless he's already dead. I'm sticking to that theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All, right. All right, we got one more book tonight. We can do it. It's late, but we can do it. We can power through. This is also probably the the better of all the books that we've reviewed. So we got uh, Shuri number one, written by Nettie Okorafor, illustrated by Leonardo Romero. Um, this is uh, a sort of like a spinoff from Tanisi Coates' is Black Panther run, but very much stands by itself. And is probably definitely influenced by the fact that Shuri was kind of the breakout character in the uh, in the Black Panther movie. She's never had a, a an ongoing series with that she. I mean, that that was her name before. I think she headlined the Black Panther series for a while. But um, Nick, you had a lot of positive positive vibes and thoughts about this one in our in our chat. So we'll we'll start with you. What are your sort of your overall thoughts on Shuri number one? Ooh, the whole thing is so good. <laughs> um, so, uh, Okorafor, uh, has she written anything oh, yet so. for uh, Black Panther? Um, I think she was. She was on some of the World of Wakanda. I think she was yeah, on some of the World did. of Wakanda things. Uh, she might have done like a single issue after the yeah, first long like, man yep. arc. And she did the she did the Dora long Dora Dora Milaje. Milaje. Okay, so. Um, she, the, the thing that I'm always worried about when I come to, like, we've talked about this before, novelists coming into comics, um, like someone like Rainbow Rowell, her work has, is very like dialogue based. And I feel like she really knows how to like keep that rhythm going. And so it like, it translates well into comics, but then someone who's more of like, a like novelist in the sense that like they have just large like prose passages um and uh like academic writers and people like that um i think they translate into comics in a slightly different way and it's just not as fluid when they start um there was almost none of that here i felt like okorafor just immediately got the medium um, there were certain like every now and then I see a caption where I'd be like, oh, that's a little too long. That should have been two captions. But like other than that, it the issue read very, very well. Um, it's also a really interesting mixture of the Shuri that like Ta-Nehisi Coates was writing and the Shuri from the movie. Um, it really combines both of them in a way that feels natural. Um, and just Leonardo Romero's art I feel like I've mentioned him every episode for the last like few months. Um, and we've never even been talking about his books. Uh, I love his art just so much. He, he might be one of my favorite artists working today. Um, it, it has like 
in this book specifically, like he retains the simplified, almost Darwin Cook-like um, designs for his characters, but his environments are so full. And so like in this case, like Wakanda is a very Afrofuturist society. I feel like in a lot of places they can focus so much on the futurist. And I feel like he really focused on getting authentic, like African details in there. And it's very detailed, but it's always very clean. And again, his, uh, like I was saying with uh, other artists before uh, Ryan Stegman, um, his framing of everything is so interesting. And like, there are some pages where like panels feel like they shouldn't work like under any other artist like the page of her jumping out the building and like testing out her wings. I feel like that wouldn't have worked with any other artists if they had tried to do that layout, but it just felt so seamless with him. Um, so you two can jump in now and talk a little about all that, but those are just my initial thoughts. I, I loved everything about this issue. <laughs> Jess, well, what do you, what were your sort of initial, initial thoughts about, about the book? Um, I, I also really liked it and I think that it does a really good job where I think something, I think it does a really good job at not being for only one kind of audience. Um, I really like Unstoppable, uh, it's, it's Unstoppable Wasp, right? I really like that book. We talked about it here, but I felt like it really, uh, aimed itself at a younger audience. I actually think Shuri, number one, does a better job at being for a wider audience. I think it's, it's not i mean it's not a super mature book but i think it's grown up enough um for someone a little older and then i think it's also decent enough for someone a little bit on the younger side not necessarily a little kid but someone maybe in maybe early like tween teenage years um and that's a good thing to me i think that's a great thing to do with shuri um i also really like that it came back it, it brought back her time as the black panther and i really like that that's how the issue ends that she's being asked to do that once again um because i think that's a great way to get comic book readers and and maybe any um overlapping movie fans used to maybe the idea of um uh the actors changing and we know that uh, Chris Evans is out. Um, well, at least it looks like he's done. So somebody else is going to be taking up that mantle. Someone else might need to take up the, the mantle of Black Panther. And the way Shuri was received by everybody, that might be her one day. Um, it might be that actress. So um, I really like that it came back to that because um, I think that's cool. It, it still has her doing the invention side of things, which is fun. Um, the stuff with the wings was the best. I love that. That was so fun. Um, but I also really liked that it came back to all the women kind of needing to take charge and it coming back down to her um, and her birthright as, as his sister, that she now may need to go back to being, she may need to take up the mantle once again. I like that. Yeah, no, for for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I think... Uh... I think a, I think a core for first taking taking her work is doing is did really really great with the series and um, yeah like we mentioned she wrote I think it was like one of those like comicsology Marvel books the like Long Live the King and then she did those like Dora Dora Milaje uh, like one shots where they like teamed up with like Spider Man and the X Men and the Avengers so she's done like a little bit 
of Marvel work in this realm. She's also doing, I think she's getting like one of the like burger books at Dark Horse, like the, the, um, like LaGuardia or something like that. Like one of, uh, so like she's, I forget if that's the name of it. Um, so she's like done and like is doing some comic work. Um, and like, I think is, it makes it really, really seamlessly. Uh, and then also, yeah, Nick, just like you mentioned, like Romero's art in this issue is beautiful. I think what I really, really like about, about this issue, uh, which I think sort of, I think sort of stems, uh, from some of the stuff that Jess was saying, um, is that I think it, it really ties together everything that Tenehisi Coates did with Shuri and the like first two year long arcs in his Black Panther run to like a lot of the things that were really great about her character from the movies. And that was that thing that I was honestly kind of worried about. So like they announced this book and they were just like, Oh, it's going to focus on, on Shuri. And I was like, Shuri's kind of like a, in the comics right now, at least sort of like this, like unfeeling, like sort of like holder of all the like stories of Wakanda, sort of like weird, like mythological character thing. Um, and what this issue does is say like, yeah, that's true. Um, and but also like she's been able like that that's like a thing that's still a part of her and like that's like a personality that she has but she's kind of like been able to like control all of that stuff and like to control all of that like ancient wisdom and then like to be able to like be herself also and it also like is the first book to explain what the heck is going on now in this like newest arc of Coates's run where like like um T'Challa's in space and like has forgotten who he is and there's this like intergalactic empire wakanda thing and we don't really know what's going on and i appreciate it for that and i think it's super cool that she's been like being asked to like to be the black panther again i think it's like super cool that it's like there's this like wakandan council of women um that like exists that like we just have been doing this for years and years and years um and they're sort of like the like the like backbone or like this like un uh unmentioned part of like wakandan government things um and yeah i just think i think this book is i just think it's it's lovely i was worried about it a little bit because i think that i have been pretty critical on this on this show about some of my disdain for the ways in which um like the comics start to emulate the movies um and i think when done poorly it's just like frustrating on all accounts uh see jerry duggan's guardians of the galaxy stuff but this this is great i think this is great And yeah. Yep. Definitely going to be reading the rest. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Same. Do we have any, do we have any other, any other thoughts? And it's getting late. Nope. Cool. Nope. Cool. All done. I will follow Leonardo Romero wherever. Romero, you have a fan. If you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> come talk to us also. But Okay. <laughs> Well, folks, that's it for the month of October here on Make My Multiversity. Thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, definitely at the end of November, if not before then, with some of the biggest Marvel books of Turkey Month. Uh, Let's see. What do we got coming out in November? That's big stuff. We got the beginning of the Uncanny X-Men Weekly. Yeah, Uh, buddy. That's going to be exciting. That 72-page $8 (laughs) issue that I'm not going to pay for. Um we got Marvel Knights number one, that fun Donny Cates showrun collaboration thing. We have Avengers number 700, which is issue 10 of Jason Aaron's run. 
we got the debut of Ironheart, which I'm super excited about, and a ton of other things. So you can be sure that we'll be talking about some of those things in our next episode. But until then, you can find us all at multiversitycomics.com, and you can find us all on Twitter. I am at KBGregory13. I am uh, Jess, uh, NJ. And I am at N. Paul Mary Wright. Awesome. And we'll be back next month with more Marvel content. Until then, none of you got back to me to tell me how to close this episode. <laughs> so I'm just going to say good night. Good night, folks. Goodbye. It's done. We're done. It's over. Okay. I'm embarrassing myself now. It was good until you. It was you, good until, until I kept going. Why do I keep going? Why do I feel the desire to keep going? Goodbye.